My name isn't really important, but for now, I'll go by Monty. A little backstory. I grew up in a small town just outside of Hartford, Connecticut. Real nice place where everyone knew everyone. You never locked your doors. Had a real charm to it. Nicest bunch of folks you could ever meet, really. We were all one big family. So this all happened in 2005. I was 10 at the time. And my friends Adam, Timmy, and Jared were all out trick-or-treating. We were, in all honesty, a bunch of little shits. We weren't malicious in any way. We just liked to pull pranks here and there. Like the time we broke into old Mr. Harrison's chicken coop and replaced his eggs with Cadbury cream eggs. We left the real eggs in a basket outside of the coop. So he didn't mind much in the end. Had a hell of a time cleaning the chocolate out of his hen's feathers. So anyway, that Halloween, we decided we would bring big pillowcases to use as our sacks. Since we knew the whole town, we were allowed out until midnight, so long as we made it right on the dot and not a second later. We were all about the same age. Adam was the oldest at 12, and Jared was the youngest at 9. So when we heard we had almost six hours of time to get as much candy as we could, we were ecstatic. Our young minds having all that time and all that space meant we would be rolling in candy for the rest of our lives. So we went out, all dressed up in homemade Avenger outfits, and got to work. It hit 11 way faster than I thought it would, and by that time, we were each lugging around about 20 pounds of candy each. Soon enough, it was 11.40, and I knew I had to get going soon. As I turned to tell everyone I was heading home, I saw the car. Now, if you would have told me what a pedophile was when I was 10, and explained the concept thoroughly, the image I would come up with was an old, balding man with missing teeth and a wiry frame driving around in a beat-up and old rusty van. That wasn't at all what the man who introduced himself as Reggie Smith looked like at all. Handsome was one word you could use. He had a thick head of dark blonde hair, a slightly muscular frame, and a smile so white and perfect you could see it shining in the blackest of nights. And that's exactly what he did when he greeted us. Hey there, kids, he called out. It's getting pretty late. You should be heading home. Jared was the first one to speak up, waving his paper towel roll and cardboard in a greeting. Oh, hi there, mister. We're just heading home. Jared pointed to the sack he held in his other hand. Look at all that candy we got. Reggie smiled that fucking smile of his and chuckled. (laughs) That sure is a lot. Say, you kids want some more? I think I got some. Uh, Here they are. After rummaging around for a bit, he pulled four king-size snicker bars from what I can only assume was a black medical bag that had been sitting in his front passenger seat. Of course, all four of us rushed over and gladly took what we thought to be the holy grail of candy. 
Soon, Reggie had introduced himself and explained he had just moved in a few blocks down the road. Somehow, I picked up that something seemed off about him, to say the least. The first red flag came when he invited us over to his place. I've got a bunch of candy bars just sitting in a bag on my porch. If you all want to come get some real quick, he said. Now that set me off, because not five minutes earlier, he had been saying how we should be getting home. Being incredibly uncomfortable, I saw that it was nearly 11.50 and took that as my cue to leave. It's almost midnight and I gotta get home. Sorry. Adam, Timmy, and Jared, Iron Man, the Hulk, and Thor all gave me a confused look. Seriously? Adam said, moving his mask out of the way to be heard clearly. It's free candy, dude. And really good candy, too. Yeah! Timmy called out in agreement while pounding his Hulk fist together. You can't seriously be passing this up. Sorry, guys. My parents will ground me for a month if I don't get home soon. I'll see you guys later. My friends all gave out a sigh of disappointment and climbed in Reggie's car. That's when Reggie spoke up. Ah, leave him alone, kids. Besides, I only got room for three right now. That's when I remembered that creepy black doctor's bag in his passenger seat. I said my goodbyes and peaced the fuck out. Luckily, I made it home just in the nick of time, and my parents were only mildly annoyed. Soon after, my parents started checking my candy and asked how my night was. That's when I told them about Mr. Smith, and that was when my parents' faces turned white as snow. And then my dad grabbed his car keys and my mom started dialing the police. Soon, I knew everything about what was really going on and I had to give the police a statement. Of course, knowing that I was nearly kidnapped and that my parents were gone, I was a complete wreck. Once the police got their information, they tried to console me and tell me that it wasn't my fault in any way. And that was when I heard their radios go off. Car 3, car 3, suspect inbound to your location on foot. He appears to be armed and dangerous, do you copy? This is car 3, we copy. The officer looked at me in the eyes and smiled. Don't worry kid, we'll get this guy. He turned to his partner. Stevens, stay with the kid. I'm going to cut this son of a bitch off before he can get away. The other officer, Stevens, he was an absolute saint. When all this was going down, he did his damnedest to keep me calm, stayed with us that night for security, and for that, I'm eternally grateful. The next morning, my dad came home exhausted and peeled off his dirty size 12s before crashing in his favorite chair. He and the other men of the neighborhood went out looking for Mr. Smith. They cornered him in one of the old abandoned houses in the neighborhood, and he wound up shooting himself to avoid capture. That's the only consolation I get, knowing that if there's a hell, that fucker is rotting there. Now you're probably wondering what happened to Adam, Timmy, and Jared. Well, I'm pretty sure you could already guess, but yeah, they're all dead.
Jared survived Mr. Smith, but three years later, he put a 12-gauge slug through the roof of his mouth. The things he told me about that night, what he, Adam, and Timmy went through, it will haunt me till the day I die. A couple of you out there probably want some of the details out of some dark curiosity. Well, I may as well tell you the worst thing Jared told me that they went through before that fucking monster cut Adam and Timmy up like animals. Once he was done using them, he took out his little black bag and started experimenting. Did you know that the human heart can beat for a solid three or five minutes after being removed from the body? Not like you would see in the movies, but atrial and ventricular fibrillations continue for quite a bit after removal. Oh, you didn't? Of course you didn't, and neither did Adam. But he found out 30 minutes after meeting Mr. Smith. I bet you also didn't know that the lungs cannot function if they are exposed to open air. Or maybe you did, but Timmy sure as fuck didn't. And he definitely didn't deserve to go out like that. I'm 23 now. And after years of therapy and support, I have a beautiful wife and a child on the way. Once my little Teresa is born, I'm not going to let her out of my sight for a second. Let alone let her go trick-or-treating. I refuse to let anything remotely like that happen to my little girl. So I'll just buy her a big bag of candy every year to keep her happy. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. It's that time of year again. I know how I'm going to be spending Halloween. Same way I have been for the past two years, slowly nursing a beer in the bar watching the glass sweat on that smooth wooden counter staring at it till it goes warm in my hand I'm not there to get drunk I'm there to escape I never want to be alone at home over Halloween night again I promised a deputy that I wouldn't talk about that night the town didn't need it hell I even deleted the video But since Halloween just passed, it all came back. I live in a small house at the end of the lane. Another nondescript house down a row of its sisters. Prefabricated mostly. Far enough off the beaten path to be cheap. Not so much as to be rural. But close. Pretty damn close. I didn't expect many kids to come trick-or-treating come Halloween. It's a long road. And most children manage to fill their baskets long before they get to my place. Besides, I quite like the peace and quiet. Halloween used to be a good night to settle down and catch some of the classic horror movies on TV. I kept a couple of bags of candy around just in case some kids actually made it all the way down the lane. But mostly, 
it would be an evening all to myself. I can't quite remember what I was watching that night. Probably because I had been enjoying an after-dinner beer, and I may have gotten carried away, (laughs) dozing off after one too many. I woke up with a start. My beer had gone warm on the side table. My hand still curled around the can. I winced as I unwrapped my fingers. Something had wakened me up. The TV droned on in the background. The senseless dribble of late night programming flickering across the room. Maybe it was just some high school kids out after some Halloween party. Out on the streets, making some noise that woke me up. I checked the time. It was past midnight. I was glad that I'd invested a little security for my house. Just the basics, really. A good camera to cover my front lawn. Motion-activated lights around the front and back. I was trying to make the tough decision of whether to clean up the mess right there and then, or to just kick the can down the road till the next morning, when a loud rapping at the door shattered the silence. The can bounced off the floor. Warm beer sprang across the bottom of my track pants. The shock left me too numb to even swear. I had just set the can back upright when the knocking sounded again. That arrhythmic rap, increasingly impatient. The tempo building up as I stepped towards the door. I peered around the edge of the window. I saw nothing but my pale face in the glass. It was pitch dark outside. Why wasn't the light working? The knocking stopped. A tree branch, perhaps? Or something else tapping on the porch? The peephole glared at me. That little glass orb suddenly bulging with some half-promised horror. I swallowed. Or I tried. My throat was dry. The warm beer on the floor suddenly inviting. It's nothing, I said out loud, hoping that the familiar echo of my voice off the walls would ground me somehow. I walked up to the door and peered out, only seeing the orange cones cast by the halogen streetlights a distance away. Nothing. I thought to myself, feeling childishly stupid. I sucked in a deep breath, feeling my lung strain, then let the air stream out slowly. Then, another knock. I turned back around to face the door. My heart punched at the inside of my chest, its crazed dance playing counterpoint to the knocking. I wasn't surprised to see my hand shake as I reached for the doorknob. Our town was a safe one, far from the troubles of the big cities, or so we'd read in the papers. We had little more to fear in the night than seeing our trash strewn across the yard by the nimble fingers of raccoons. I threw the door open. The porch lights winked on, suddenly blinding me. I blinked away the white spots for my vision. A pair of children stood on my porch. They must have been nine or ten. I couldn't see much more of them because they were in the classic Halloween getup. A simple sheet draped over each of them. A pair of holes cut out for them to see through. A pair of small baskets for candy broke the smooth lines of the sheets. 
The toes of brand new dress shoes peeked out from under the sheets. A boy and girl, I thought. Trick or treat. Such a common refrain. I'd expected the words, but not the delivery. There were but two figures in front of me, yet their voices seemed to come from a great distance away. Trick or treat. The pair spoke again. I felt a little discomforted at the distortion in their voices. More than the weird volume, their voices seemed to blend into each other's, with some strange harmonics at play at the edges. It seemed almost as though there was a choir of two, just there, speaking to me. Treat, I guess, I said. More than anything, I wanted these two away from my house. The whole situation felt wrong. The familiar veneer of the season, concealing something deeper, something rotten, like that small panic when biting into a fruit and feeling that lack of resistance, your teeth sinking into soft mush instead of sweet flesh. For a moment, I blamed the haze of alcohol, the dregs of sleep clouding my judgment, but adrenaline had swept those far away. My fear was true. I turned to the counter where I kept my keys and grabbed for the bag of candy I had prepared for the occasion. I was half hoping that the two figures would be gone when I returned to the door. That they'd been a figment of my imagination, perhaps a shadow of some dream brought on by cheap horror movies and cold pizza. I had no such luck. The pair hadn't moved an inch. They each raised their baskets. There was already an assortment of candy there. They'd had a good day. Bit late for you guys to be out, isn't it? Where are your parents? The only answer I got was an impatient shaking of the baskets. The rasp of candy wrappers rustling. I held out a handful of candy, ready to drop it and call it a night. I expected to see a small pale hand clutching at the handle of the basket. Instead, I saw the anemic, matte sheen of plastic. The basket was draped off the plastic hand of some kind of store mannequin. I was more than thoroughly creeped out by this effective little trick. I shrugged. Maybe the voices were recorded. A little technology to bolster an otherwise traditional costume. I felt the fear melting away as I explained it to myself in my head. Just some clever little children, probably with the help of an adult. Smart, I thought. It had certainly got me going for a while. Stay safe, I told them, dropping the last of the candy into the buckets. They didn't acknowledge me. They just stood still on the worn wooden boards of my porch. I shut the door on them. The window darkened as the light of the porch shut off. Odd, maybe the motion detection stopped working. Some unbidden instinct told me to stay there and wait. I heard the unmistakable sound of footsteps on the porch as the two walked off. Still, the light stayed dark. My relief grew as the odd strangers left my property. Still, 
something didn't sit right. Something wasn't right. The light was working. It turned on when it detected me. It saw me. It didn't see the kids. The sensor was working. It was state-of-the-art, passive infrared, detected motion by detecting changes in temperature, like a human body, like mine, but not the kids. Whatever was under those pristine white sheets wasn't warm at all. The realization washed over me, like an ice cube running down my spine. I started to breathe very short. I had to see. I had to know. I could barely bring my hand to the curtains. They were shaking so bad. When I pinched the edge of the curtain between my thumb and my finger, the curtain began to undulate wildly. I filled my lungs and peered out through the glass. They were still there, barely 20 yards away, doing nothing, just standing there, motionless, facing the street. As I watched, they both swiveled their heads in perfect tandem to affix two pairs of eye holes on the window. There was no way. There was no way they could have seen me come to the window. I had to put the back of my hand in my mouth and bite down hard to keep from calling out. They knew. They knew I was there. I backed away from the window dragging my feet over the carpeted floor. I barely noticed when my heel knocked a can back. The beer leaked out into the carpet, leaving a widening patch in front of me. I couldn't believe the fear those two had summoned up in me. Every instinct I had told me to run. Run, get help, anything but stay and be trapped in my own house. What could I do? Call the police and tell them that I was scared of two little children trick-or-treating? Call one of my friends past midnight and ask them to come over like a little boy crawling to his parents' room after a nightmare? The situation was ridiculous. My mind told me so. That there had to be a rational explanation for everything. But I cannot explain away the light, fluttering feeling in my stomach. I could not rationalize the prickly lump at the back of my throat. They'd only said three words to me in those unearthly tones. Who knew how cold those lips were? I shut the door to the kitchen, the sound echoing through the empty house. I turned my chair to face the front door, and then I waited, white-knuckled, for the dawn to come. I must have fallen asleep sometime during that long, cold wait, not daring to move from my chair, paralyzed with fear that one of those shrouded children would appear at my window, or worse yet, behind me. But even that manic store of energy wore out as the night wound to a close. I was woken up by a polite knock on the front door. I sat bolt upright, nearly falling off my chair. I stumbled to the door, a hint of dread from a few hours ago still lingering like a stale funk in the air. I checked the peephole again. This time, I was confronted with the well-scrubbed face 
of one of our town deputies. We'd been to school together. It was that kind of smallish town where you'd know almost everybody your age if they had a history there. He was an earnest man, tough but fair. Good morning, officer. Good morning, he replied. The sour look on his face told me that it was anything but that. His nose twitched as he took in the stale sour smell of beer steaming off of the floor in the morning sun. Had a good night last night? I thought back to the night before. No, I didn't. The lawman was quick to see the fleeting shadow of doubt wash across my face. He pressed home his advantage. You care to explain why you stole two mannequins from the store? Dressed them up and put them on your lawn? He shifted to the side and past his door-filling bulk, I saw two familiar shapes on my lawn. My lungs wouldn't fill with air. They were still there. They'd been there the whole time. You okay, buddy? The big man leaned in, blocking my view, and steadied my shoulder with one of his strong hands. I brushed his hand off and lurched out into the yard, mindless of the freezing dew on my bare feet. The pair stood there. The draped sheets joined in between them. They were holding hands. I brought my palm down gingerly on the head of the one nearer to me. Hard. I felt hard plastic. I whipped the sheet off with one smooth motion. I gave a strangled cry as I stared into the empty green eyes of a child mannequin. I backed away. Too quick. I ended up on my ass on the cold grass, clawing and scrambling backwards until I bumped into the solid legs of the deputy right behind me. He'd been quick to recognize my unease earlier. He was just as quick to realize genuine fear. He hoisted me back to my feet and helped me back into the house. Mind telling me what that was all about? He dumped me on the office chair in front of my computer. I tried, but I couldn't force the words out. The deputy sighed and settled onto my couch, wrinkling his nose at the empty beer cans on the side table. He leaned forward. First call of the morning after Halloween and I'm chasing down some bullshit, breaking to a store in the middle of town. Now I've got you hungover and scared shitless from a damned pair of dolls on your front yard. What I know is someone got into a store, smashed up the glass, stole sheets and a couple of mannequins. Bloody kids again, except the glass. The lines on his brow deepened. I watched this Adam's apple bob up and down. The glass was on the outside of the shop only. Damn this thing. You've got a camera on your yard, don't you? Let's say you give me another 10 minutes of your time's tops. We go through that footage. I see you put those things on your lawn and then I'll be out of your life. Hopefully for good. I turned to face my computer and called up the stored videos on my hard drive. They were all transferred by Wi-Fi. Convenient for the time that I bought the cameras. 
Just put on double speed backwards. We'll see who set them there soon enough. I hit the reverse play key and up the speed. I saw the two of us scuttle from the house to the lawn and back again. Then, the first rays of the sun retreating from the grass, pulling back over the pair of figures until they were back in darkness. The two of them stood there, motionless, for the longest time. When the two figures moved all by themselves in a jerky, swaying motion back from my lawn to my front door, the cursor danced a little jig in the corner of the screen as the shakes returned, stronger than before. The sharp hiss behind me told me I wasn't alone in my discomfort. I shuddered as I saw myself on screen, so close to the two abominations, giving them a handful of candy each. I slowed the recording back to normal speed. On screen, I saw myself turn back into the house to retrieve the candy. The two figures stood there, impassive. As one, they both fixed those dark eye holes on the sheets on the camera. There was something else unmistakable. There was a slight pulse in the sheets, a small undulation. The mannequins were breathing. I've seen enough. I turned to look at the deputy, his face as white as the sheets on the shrouded figures on the screen, his hand tight around the grip of his sidearm. That, of all things, scared me the most of all. A symbol of law and order, who had seen the worst of what our little community had to offer, just as scared as I was and ready to pull a gun in my house. I clicked the window shut and got up. I went over to my cabinet. I pulled out a pair of tumblers and a bottle of the good stuff. The bottle gave a couple of contented glugs as I sloshed a rich golden whiskey into the glasses. I set one down in front of the deputy and took a sip from my glass. A lawman could lose his job drinking on duty. The deputy didn't hesitate when he emptied half his glass. He didn't look at me when he spoke. My old nan wasn't from around here. She was back from the old country, across the sea. She hated Halloween. Said there were things out that night that weren't meant to see the light of day. One night a year, she told me, for one single night, some things were set loose. The candy and costumes were a new thing. Back in the past, on All Hallows Eve, good folk crossed themselves and prayed and stayed in. Whatever's on that recording, it's not what our town needs. You understand? Dumb high school kids, I said, the lie taking shape and form in my mouth, fooling around. The lie fleshed out, took on a veneer of credibility. That would be the explanation. No one had to know the dark kernel of that story. And your camera? It was having technical difficulties that night. Never was a good piece of equipment. Regretted buying it the same week. 
He stuck out his hand, and we shook on it. And I have kept my word to now. There isn't a good reason why I broke my promise. I'd never know true fear till that night. But I replayed in my head over and over. The recording is long gone, of course, but every detail of that night has been branded on my mind. I remember the fear, but I cannot think of any single action the two of them had done to threaten me. Eerie, unnatural, but without a drop of malice. Halloween next year, I know where I'll be on that dark night. Some things roam the streets that shouldn't be there. The mask and costumes aren't always for children. Sometimes, they're there for adults, for our own protection. After the deputy left, I watched the video forwards just once. I remember seeing the two figures on my lawn, slowly inching their hands up, locking them under the sheets, and waiting for the sun to rise. Things that shouldn't be out on this good earth, but sometimes, just sometimes, they just want the simple things, like one last trick-or-treat.